Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, and today I'm joined by a guest. I'm super excited to be on the show today. We've been in the mix of trying to get you on here. Welcome to the show, Mr. Lenny Curry. It's good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, man. We're very excited for, obviously, for our listeners. I think everyone knows exactly who I'm talking about, but for those that don't know, I'm sitting across from Jacksonville's former mayor who was elected in 2015, had a term all the way through 2023, brought our city over that eight-year term from just a, a, a mid-metro city to a major metro city. We're going to talk about all that went in, in part of that and the growth that came along. But I would say you probably had one of the hardest two terms, well, definitely one of the hardest terms. Uh, had to battle COVID-19. You were on every major news outlet. I mean, the camera spotlight was on <laughs> you 24-7. You did an amazing job, my friend, and uh, you really you. made our city proud. So Thank you. welcome to the show. It's good and, to be. Uh, it's great you. to have you here today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, we had we had two we had two major hurricanes and COVID. <laughs> so we, <laughs> yeah, there's some there's among some, among other things. But yeah, yeah, you had a lot going on in yeah. this city, and you know, and I think sometimes what got overlooked during that part is that you know you're you're a husband and a father of three as well. I'm very proud, and some of the pre-show we've talked about, almost every story has been about your kids. I think that speaks a lot <laughs> oh, about you as a person. So uh, you know, again, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Good to be here. So let's dive right into it. So, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, Jacksonville was a was a population of less than a million people when you took office. And upon, you know, the the last term of of your of of being mayor, we were borderline 1.7 million people. And when I look at that, the infrastructure involved, like we are a city with doubled in size. And what's crazy is that I can still drive from one side of the city to the other in about 35 minutes, right? Let's take the Butman Bridge out of it, but 35 minutes. <laughs> That's right. But I mean the infrastructure and the forward thinking that your administration have to put that stuff in place. It's just absolutely amazing. And so, you know, you were talking about earlier, it may even be bigger than that 10 years from now. It should so, double the population at this growth rate that I looked at months ago will double in 10 years. How is that possible for a city like Jacksonville? Like uh, what, what is it drives people here? You know, we got businesses coming here. I know you were involved in a lot of that, but what's driving people to Jacksonville? Well, I, I mean, one of the things you've heard for decades now that is no longer a secret is when large companies, companies would relocate here, um, they would often afterwards, they would tell us that their employees, that they were relocating from a larger city in the Northeast or something. Jacksonville? Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. And then they get here and they fall in love with the quality of life and the people. Yeah. Because we are a big city, but we're very much a Southern culture in terms of hospitality. Everybody's nice. Everybody's charitable. You have access. I mean, in Jacksonville, you can be out in the woods on a farm or you can be on the beach, or you can be on the river, all within 30 to 45 minutes. And that's what's unique about our city. And I, I often joke with my wife, I'm like, if you talk to someone in this city for longer than 10 minutes, you're going to find you have a common connection. Like you do, it's that's like right. eight degrees of separation that's here. Right. And to your point, we're the biggest small town I've ever seen in my that's life. That's right. And I think it's super cool. I moved here 19 years ago, just shy of 20. And, um, you know, it reminds me a lot of Nashville when I left Nashville. It's got a lot of the same attributes, the Southern feel, the hospitality, all of that is part of it in that big city, small town aspect. And uh, I love I love that about our city. And I love calling this place home. So it's a- So it's do a, I. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. You know, and, and I think that it's well documented that COVID accelerated our city and foreign population. But prior to that, we were we were on a huge net migration, meaning more people were moving into the city than moving out. And I think a lot of people go, oh, well, they got big because of COVID. But the reality is this started back in 2016. We were really growing large and off the map during that time. Do you think some of that has to do with, obviously, you just mentioned lifestyle that goes along with it, but it was also because of, you know, lack of state of income tax here, or maybe maybe the tax breaks we offer to the cities. Like, what else could there have been that I'm missing? Uh, I mean, obviously, the lifestyle, quality of life stuff I issued, the universities that are both in uh, our city, point. in our city, we have great universities in Jacksonville. Agreed. Uh, and then we have access to universities that are two to three hours away as well. Um, so that's good for employers, right? That's good for, that's a 
good for educational foundation. Um, I, I think, and I, the other thing that I know is we may be the last big city that is still almost a blank slate in terms of what you can do with it. Um, people talk about our prices and our housing prices and cost of living going up here. It's still nowhere near what it is in other parts of the state. Oh, I love the fact we're recording that and that you said that because we preach that all the time to people on our show. We talk about it because if you look at just, let's, let's compare our neighbors. Let's go to the big one, Atlanta, Orlando, right? Not even close. Right. Not even close. We're still so affordable compared to that. And then absolutely Miami and Tampa. That's right. Not even close. So it's, and, and the traffic issues. <laughs> yes. The traffic issues, which are, there's a couple of reasons there. Um, the city has done the work it needs to do with infrastructure, but also the state of Florida under the previous governor and the current governor, Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis, very forward thinking on the Department of Transportation and the way that they um, are addressing our, our roads here. Yeah. So we don't have the traffic issues other cities have in the state of Florida. Yeah, and it's it's pretty amazing too because, I mean, I've seen this trajectory where Florida's going to be at 17 plus million people as a whole. Right. And I mean, you think about like, where are all these people going to go? <laughs> but they're coming here and the infrastructure is supporting it in our city. And, you know, I just think it's, it's really hats off. And, you know, it's interesting when I moved here almost 20 years ago, JTB was a two-lane situation. Mm -hmm. And then it was always under construction and people used to complain about it. And then the 9A, you know, rebuild or, or do build, as you may call it, you know, it, it was like, man, is this ever going to get done? But the minute it was done, it was like, oh, I see the vision of what's going on. But it's cool to see where the city's come from in the forward thinking process. There's a story I've heard Tony Baselli tell um, that when he was drafted and they picked him up at the airport, <laughs> they took him out to Ponte Vedra to, uh, to meet with people. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, it was two lanes to, on the way out there and it was hardly anything. And he said, I'm driving down this two lane road, this long road from the airport. He's like, where are they taking me? Like, <laughs> this is a little scary. <laughs> yeah, is the mob going to go in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, yeah no, I can we'll see We've come that. a long way. Yeah, we've come a whole, whole long way. It's been cool to, to kind of witness it and see it from afar. And, you know, you mentioned the whole real estate thing, and that's the pretty big emphasis of our show and a big portion of what we talk about. But, you know, if you listen to the national media, and, I, you know, obviously, you know way better than I do. I like to say the news is not your friend around mm -hmm. here. But uh, the, the media leads you to believe that Jacksonville, I think FAU just published a study that said Jacksonville is 40% overpriced in the market. And when I dove into the article, it's not that we were 40% overpriced. We're 40% up from where we were in 2019. <laughs> it's like, well, no, no kidding. You had to, you had, what are we talking about here? But do you think Jacksonville has peaked in affordability or do you think we have room to grow? I think we have room to grow. I and, and I think, I think that, uh, that, that I'm grateful that the market is, it, that the prices are going up. Look mm -hmm. at the market. It's supply and demand, right? Correct. Now, there is, there's definitely a need for more affordable housing, mm -hmm. there, right? You, because you, you, you don't want only certain income levels, right, to be able to move into work and live in your city. Uh, there are some people doing affordable housing, and there's room to do more. Uh, that's not an easy solution, but I know that city leaders, we were focused on that, and I know they are as well now. Do you think do you think there's a lot of red tape in certain counties that make the building process tougher for builders? Like, is it tougher for builders to garner permits than it was maybe five years ago, or is it easier? Uh, when we were in office, it was easier. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've heard that about Duval County yeah, a lot. It's, yeah. It was very easy and still is easier That's right. to get than the, than the bordering counties there. Um, as far as affordable housing, do you think builders are finding it? Is more of a land issue or just more of a how do I build it and how do I make it a win-win for everyone issue? Like how do I make it make money and make yeah, affordable Yeah, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know because I'm not an expert. I don't know the answer to that question. But when I say affordable housing, I'm thinking about the stuff, you know, that have the tax credits from the federal government. Okay. We need more of that stuff. Okay. Um, and, and my understanding of that, that's not easy 
to do. Gotcha. Because you have to have, if you've never done it, you can't just apply for it and do it. Okay. You have to have done it before, which means if you're, you have to have partnered with someone that does it, and then you have to be able to do it on your own. Ah, I see. So that's okay. a big, that's actually a big government problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, and that's not just in our area. That's right. That's, that's everywhere. Nationwide. That's everywhere. I hear that term all the that's time. Right. That's nationwide. That's Thanks right. for clarifying yeah. the affordability thing. So, uh, you know, and you talked about supply and demand. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to go back and unpack that. You know, we have one of the lowest inventory levels in all of the country. But we have one of the highest demand levels, mm -hmm. too, of all over the country. I mean, the amount of people – we go, you drive down just any road outside of the beaches area, and you're seeing multiplexes go up. Right. Multifamilies, apartments, everything going up. I mean, that's screaming the inventory and the housing issue here in Jacksonville, Florida. And I think that that's something that, you know, we didn't see five years ago. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing that. You know, it, do you see – at any point, is there opportunities or is there a vision of any of these apartments that are being built to where potentially they could be converted to condos and create housing opportunities down the road? I, th I think so, but that's going to depend on the market, right? And right. I mean, this is what I would always tell people when they would complain when I was in office about why isn't a builder or a developer doing this, this, or this on this property? Well, they have to make money. That's correct. And not only do they have to make money, it has to be a certain return, right? Mm -hmm. There's a standard return, either industry return or what their investors expect. And that's what's going to drive that. And when government starts to interfere with that stuff, you may get a short-term win, but you're going to get a long-term problem. Ah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that anytime government wants to regulate something or get involved, they really take the entrepreneurship out of it. Yes. And I think that that is a huge, huge issue. You know, you're, you're prior to being married, you were an entrepreneur, you know, an accountant, you have a huge background on that. So you get it. And I think that was probably what helped build the business community around you here in Jacksonville and you support it, right? you know, because that's, right. you don't see that with every, you know, every mayor in every city. So, you know, again, that was another great thing that I think you brought to the table as being mayor. But as we kind of switch gears there from real estate, Obviously, I'm going to talk about the the elephant in the room here. 2020 mm. to 2020, let's say mid to late 21. Man, you were you were in the Budweiser hot seat. Yeah. I mean, you're you're on news. You're one of the pro most progressive mayors. Um, you know, looking back, I would say when COVID happened, we were one of the first cities to shut down businesses mm -hmm. and send people to the unemployment line and get the money early. And, and honestly, in the state of Florida, I think we may have got people there earlier than anyone else. We did. We got people money and they were able to survive during that time. We got cash in hand fast. Super fast. And it was, and it was complicated because you're dealing with COVID at the time was unknown. How does it spread? They, you know, they were telling us then that they thought you could get it on a countertop. Right, so I do remember that, yeah. and you could get in on a package delivered to your home. So in those early days, there was um, there was believed to be very high risk uh, for people to people mm -hmm. contact. But we set up these lines because we didn't want to be electronic. People needed their money. We set up these lines with uh, with social distancing, and we got the right people with you know covered and everything. And we literally had a process where people could come get their money, and that was huge for us. It was huge. It, it was, was huge. I mean, we didn't go through. You know, every city had their own suffering that they went through. But man, did did you guys do an excellent job? And I think you said you paired with Vistar. Yes, and you got people bridge loans during that time until the government could get the PPP. We money got there. bridge loans to the small businesses. That's right. Um, and, and look, I remember at some point uh, I was at a restaurant uh, after COVID. And someone that worked at the restaurant came over to me and said, I want to thank you because the checks that we got when the restaurants shut down, that's how I paid my bills. I believe it. And man, that gives me chills to say it because we were just doing our job, Yeah. but that's a life impacted, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. It's huge. I mean, you walked in the lobby and the lady thanked you for yeah. your time. Right. She thanked you for what you did while you were mayor. I mean, it's like you, you, it's not, it doesn't go unrecognized. It was a really big deal. And I, and I think that um, it, it's easy to look back 
on COVID and criticize decisions people made. There's no question in my mind that other states and other governments were closed way too long. Right. But when this thing came, when it landed on our shores, when it landed in the United States, everybody believed that people were going to be dropping mm -hmm. and that it was going to be transmitted like that. Uh, and that if we kept things open, it was going to be a problem. So it was the responsible decision to make at the time with the facts we had. Once we learned, for example, we learned within weeks that this beach thing is ridiculous. <laughs> and we opened the beaches up a couple weeks in. Right. Right. And we got destroyed on CNN and all that. Um, uh, and, and businesses were back up and operating in Jacksonville and in the state of Florida way before other places. I, I was going to say, we, we recovered quicker than any other state for sure, but definitely city as well. I mean, I think that was, I think that was the resounding thing that I took away from this was that we were quick to react, but we were quick to overcorrect. That's right. We said, okay, this is beaches. Hey, not a problem. What are we talking about here? Businesses. Hey, we're back open. And I think the fact that we got people back working again and also supplied them with those funds, that's what propelled our economic really uh, improvements over those two year window that's, there. That's right. And we just, we went ahead of the rest of the competition. I mean, it wasn't even close as far as states if you're competing, but I and mean- one, And really to your point, once we learned, we we corrected quickly. Well, one example, we did, we had masks at one point and that was a tough decision. I didn't like making that decision. We didn't have good data on it, mm -hmm. but I would say to people, if you're the executive in charge of an entire city and every single hospital C CEO and leader is telling you, like personally telling you mm -hmm. that you need to mitigate this with masks and you're not the healthcare expert. It would be irresponsible, right? Not right. to. Now, once we got data on how effective really are these things and people are still debating it, <laughs> uh, our mask mandate was in place for too long, but it's just because we didn't know at the time. Right. But if you're saying our mask mandate was too long, <laughs> holy cow, what about, <laughs> what about yeah, right. we could pick any other state here That's in the right. Northeast and, you know, you could really say, well, what were they doing? You know, and, right. and speaking of that, you know, is anytime you turned on, I think everybody was glued to the TV during this time. They're working from home or they're stationed at home, whatever it is, we're at home. You're on the news channel. Kumo's on the news channel, and you two couldn't be polar opposites in your belief. <laughs> and I'm thankful that we had your belief system and your guidance versus his. You know, but looking back on it, do you feel this sense of like, yeah, yeah, we we did a lot better than you. Like we were we we did a lot um, better than your decision making. I, I, I'm not going to compare us to another specific an, an individual. I'll let people other people do that. Fair enough. But um, so I appreciate the compliment. But I'm really proud of what our team did. Yeah. Um when we had a core team that was coming into the office every day to help prepare me for briefings and they were doing operational stuff on the ground, like making sure people got checks in their hands, making sure they got rent assistance. I, I would argue that our team, the people in the city of Jacksonville that worked through COVID uh, maybe was one of the best in the country. Yeah. You guys definitely were on top of yeah. it. You know, and I will, I'll say this uh, as we kind of wrap up this COVID section here. When you look back at it, the, the, the city itself real estate, small business, you know, the fact that, um, I mean, even simple things like, hey, if you could be a restaurant and you couldn't have people in there, the way that you guys allowed for everything to be dined out, right. kept these people afloat. Like it was very creative. Absolutely. That's the word that was escaping me. They're super creative, very thoughtful. And, uh, you know, like you said, I have many people that have told me I'm glad I lived in Florida yep. or I'm glad I moved to Florida. You well, know? and that demonstrates, again, I want to give, praise the team. And I was responsible for assembling it. But um, if you had, we, we had the right people in place. The that, people that worked for the city that reported to me that were, were making operational decisions. And a lot of times in government, 
the best people aren't put in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't know if a crisis is coming. And if a crisis is coming, when it happens, guess what? If there's weakness in the team, it's going to be exposed fast. Right. And we had a strong, smart team. Yeah. Well, what would you say was, I mean, obviously, I think I know the answer. COVID or a hurricane, which one's tougher to deal with? Uh, COVID. Yeah, I would say yeah. the unknowns. Because, like well, the hurricane is tough and stressful, but it's it's a, it's a window of threat. Mm-hmm. Then it's a window of effect, which is a day, maybe two days. And then it's aftermath, but that... That there's a there's a known end. Mm-hmm. It, there was no known end at for some, at some point with COVID. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Right. I mean, and if you're a parent, because I'm also a parent, and outside of as you said, besides being mayor, like when all this started, your kids are at home. Like, oh my gosh, are my kids going back to school? <laughs> I, are my are my daughters going to be able to go participate these formative years? They love dance. They love cheer. Mm-hmm. My son played sports. Are they going to? How many years are they going to lose of this? Right. Thank God because of what we did in Jacksonville and leadership with our governor, we got those kids back into sports and back into school right away. Yeah. And I mean, I think that was so pivotal because I mean, the amounts of toll it took on those kids to be at home from a, a social standpoint, and then just also just learning. I mean, that that online learning, that's tough. Yes, it that's is. That's very tough. And I think we also, this gap year that happened there of that learning. Matter of fact, I read a statistic where the, the entrance scores on the ACT and SAT that year after COVID mm-hmm. when we went back to school were the lowest they had seen. That doesn't surprise me. And it was, it was, I think it's directly correlated to what we just described. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely glad to be back. You know, yes. Glad to be back to, to this normal uh, norm now. And it's kind of interesting. Like you hear people getting COVID now and it's like, oh, it's the new flu. Right. It's not a big deal. But you know, right. to your point, we thought we could get it on countertops. That's exactly right. That's how right. crazy it was. And a lot of that's just unknown, but also fear. Like just driving fear mongerings too is tough. To- like uh, totally. You, totally. And we weren't, sh- I don't, look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the facts are people in charge of local governments and even state governments weren't given all the facts to help the the fact, like who's the highest risk. I mean, look, kids didn't have a lot of risk (laughs) and they told us they did. Right. And the real data would suggest, did suggest otherwise. Right. right? Exactly. So you just sometimes. Guys like me and you didn't have real high risk. Right. Right. But they didn't tell us that. No, no, they didn't. And, and there's a, probably a reason for that. Right. Too. Right. There was definitely a reason for that. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. As we talk a little bit more about, you know, things in our city, we've got the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're one of 32 NFL teams with an amazing, amazing fan base, an amazing team here going through this massive overhaul getting ready to have one of the, the massive stadium renovation overhauls in the league here. Pretty excited about this. You know, we were talking earlier and you said, 
it has to get done. Right. It has to get done. And so I'm not even going to ask you the question, is it going to get done? It has to, it has to get it done. It has to get done. And and do you kind of want to explain a little bit of why that has to get done? Yeah, so the lease expires in 2030. Okay. Uh, so the city owns, a lot of your listeners may or may not know this, but the city owns the facility and the team leases it. Okay. That's how most facilities are in sure. Jacksonville. The ballpark, everything. That lease expires in 2030. Well, if you're an NFL team, and by the way, they need a new stadium. Absolutely. The NFL knows that. Everybody knows that. So knowing that it's needed, they can't make long-term de- decisions if you're waiting to negotiate and start a, a stadium renovation, bumping right up against the expiration of the lease. I mean, that's seven years from now. Yeah. It's going to be here like that. Yeah. Right? So it has to get done and it has to get done like now. Yeah. They need to reach a deal now. And, um, and it won't be popular with certain people. Uh, and I knew that the whole time. We just ran out of time. Right. Um, there are, there's going to be a large percentage of the population that do not want taxpayer dollars going to an NFL stadium. I, I, I respect that and I appreciate that. But those of us, I was in leadership, those that are in leadership now, it's incumbent to make a decision, a tough decision as we're elected to do, mm-hmm. to say that team is too important to us. We have to get this done. And another thing that I don't think a lot of people know, if the owner of this team wanted to fund the whole thing, the owners, the other owners would vote it down because th- their model is what's happening okay. in the rest of the country. I see. So in Nashville and Buffalo, which are the two recents, and their market's similar to ours, right? Mm-hmm. They are 60 to 65% municipal money, government money. That makes sense. The balance is, is, is the owner money. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've had other stadiums and other markets where it's been funded by other than the municipality, but those are different markets. Yep. Those are bigger. They're just totally different scenarios. So we're looking at the owners of the NFL would expect us to be somewhere in the ballpark of what a deal looks like in Nashville or Buffalo. And that's just setting the standard, kind of like when a draft pick signs for a certain amount, you now have set the standard for that's what right. that's going to be that's right. for that pick. And that's what what, I, what I do think is, 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 is in good faith, and it's really good, what they did is they packaged up their proposal, mm-hmm. the teams, the stadium deal, but they packaged it up with a bunch of amenities around it that aren't mm-hmm. part of the stadium. And when you total the whole package, it's 50-50. Oh, okay. That's a that's a great deal. Absolutely. That's a great deal. Right. And I, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, you're like, it's gotta happen. We we're fortunate to have a team here, great team, great owner, great everything about it. And I feel like I feel like the owner's also involved in the city and wanting to bring businesses here. He wants to see Jacksonville thrive. Yes. It's great to have that kind of duo tandem working together. And great fan base. And great fan base. Yep. So looking back at your eight years, like what was the greatest impact you felt you made to the community? Well, the, my answer is, is this is not a sexy answer and it wasn't okay. a sexy issue, but it fundamentally changed our city. So when I got into office, we were drowning in pension debt and our annual pension payment out of our operating budget was hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars of money that was going to legacy pensions okay. that wasn't going to roads, parks, and infrastructure. Okay. The year before I got into office, the entire infrastructure budget, which they call the CIP, was under $20 million. My last infrastructure budget was over $300 million. Wow. When I got in office, we didn't have the money to do that. I took an idea. I had to get it through the Florida legislature, the House, the Senate, the governor. I had to bring it back and take it to the voters, put it on a referendum, and we won. The city council had to vote on it, had to negotiate with the labor unions, police, fire. Anyway, the short answer is we reformed our pensions. Okay. Saved us hundreds of millions of dollars a year out of our operating budget. Those dollars now go into all of the things that are quality of life. Yeah. Roads, parks, children's services, everything. 
Yeah. So uh, not a sexy issue, but fundamentally changed the future of well, our and city and the quality of lives for people. And it went into some of the structure issues we talked about from road infrastructures and things of that That's nature right. in our city. You know, it's why we may are able to drive 30 minutes from one side to the other and not, you know, two hours. That's right. You know, a lot of that. And I, I, I do remember when you did that. I do know that it had a very, you know, split bias on what people thought about it. But at the end, probably looking back, they probably go, I get it now. Well, the voter, you know, it ended up voting uh, over 60% of the people voted yes. Yep. Um, so anyway, that, that was an accomplishment that changed our city for a very long time yeah, in no, a very good way. Agreed. Would you have done anything different during that eight year stretch at all? Uh, that's, that's a hard question to answer. You probably, um, I guess we'll see in the years ahead if I've really changed this. So look, I, <laughs> Tough I, question, I, I am, I I'm goal oriented, Okay. very like goal driven. Like that's the goal. We're going to go, we're going to do it. And whatever's in the way, if I believe in it, we're going to accomplish it. And I think I had that, that the only reason we were able to reform pensions and do some other things is because that's how I came in my first term. Okay. And in the process, there were a lot of disagreements. People didn't like the style. They didn't think I was inclusive enough because I was just charging forward. Everything was a fight. Well, looking back, I could have maybe tampered that down in the second term. Everything okay. didn't have to be a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Everything doesn't have to be a fight. Yeah. But it's my nature. <laughs> yeah, well, it seemed to work, you know? I mean, you can't change who you are. You That's know right. I mean, you can't change who you are. And I think I think that fight probably shows your passion too, you know? Right. If, if, you know, you've got a lot of passion in your beliefs and what you want to accomplish for the city and you're like, damn it, just let's get it done. Right. Man. Let's just get it done. We, we don't need paralysis analysis by oh. talking to 20 people to figure out how to do something. Yeah, totally agree. So what, are the, what does the next four or five years look like for Lenny? Yeah, so right now I'm doing some consulting work uh, with a big firm called Ballard Partners, okay. um, governmental fair stuff. Uh, I'm also doing some deals, uh, like private equity deals, uh, by evening and weekends. Okay. Um, right now I'm focused on my youngest has just started college. My daughters are in high school. Um, will I ever be on a ballot again? Uh, here's, I, I don't, there, this is okay. There are lifelong public servants. There right. are people that go from city council to the state legislature. They, they bounce all over the place mm -hmm. and I respect them. That's a public calling. That's not me. Okay. I don't wake up in the morning thinking I have to be in elected office again. That's not my identity. But if the right door opened, um, I would certainly consider walking through it. And I'm maintaining all of my relationships that I built over the years in the state, politically and in D.C. Uh, in the event that door opens, my wife and I, Molly and I, will evaluate it at that time. Yeah. No, I love the fact that you said it like that. And, you know, I, this is a question, you know, Aaron and I talk about all the time, whether it's, whether it's you and Molly or, or whether it's the governor and his wife. You know, how hard is that? As I mean, obviously— Molly's a great support system at home. Right. How hard is it to do campaigning, rerun, <laughs> manage the city 24-7 around the clock? Like, how tough is that as a, as, as a, as yeah, a couple? You know, um, when you're when we were in it, I can't say that it it, it didn't feel hard. Okay. Um, the hard part for me was turning it off. Like when you when come, I come home. home. I, okay. Yeah, it's like, because there's, there's always a fight. There's always something that has to get done, yeah, right? Right. Um, that was the hard part and Molly helped, she tried to help me balance that, um, successfully. But what, she, what Molly did was, I mean, we had always had family time. Like That's I didn't, cool. I didn't, there was no event that I was going to miss a dance recital or a football game. When I, at, when I started as mayor, I coached football and I told the staff, I said, these are the two nights of football practice and I don't care who wants to meet or talk. It's not happening. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, and I noticed, you know, when COVID was going on, Molly stepped right up to the plate, 
you know, she was at the podium and I mean, she, she looked like she'd been doing that for years. She stepped right up and I was like, wow, wow, look, that, that's amazing. You know? And I mean, you guys really, you worked well as a tandem, Well, you know, and then the public eye, y'all did a fantastic job. I, and I, and I admire that. all your values. You know, I love first time we met, you told me that story about I coached and I said, these two days are done. Yep. And you told me, you said, don't ever miss a game for your son. Cause it's gone before you know that's, it. Oh, that's right. And, uh, you know, we had a really good conversation and right then and there, like it showed me your family values and yeah. beliefs and, uh, you know, uh, definitely, uh, agreeing in line with those and admire it. And again, uh, thanks I'll tell, for I'll tell you a funny story. I'll close with a funny okay. story. So my son, I don't know if you've met my son Boyd. I've you've, met him yeah. one or two times. He's, um, he, he's, once he gets to know people, he's very charismatic and outgoing, but he's not, he, he, he's more of an introvert, right? Okay. And so all this campaigning stuff, the first time he would have been eight years old, I think he just wasn't down with it. And that was fine. Um, but the day, but he's also got a sense of humor that people don't see coming sometimes. So he didn't even want to go to my swearing in that d the day of. He's eight years old. He doesn't want to go see all these people. Well, he gets on stage. We didn't realize it. And he blew the biggest bubble. And it ended up on the front page of the newspaper. Oh, I saw the picture. And when we got home, <laughs> he told us. He'd been around enough at this point. I knew I was going to be the lead photo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tell you what. So I saw the photo. I think Molly's holding this. You're being sworn in. Mm -hmm. She's holding the Bible. Boyd's like in this white shirt right, yes. right between the two of you. And he's got the bubble the size of this iPad <laughs> yes. in the photo. I mean, he stole the photo there. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly. He what knew what he was doing. About. He did know exactly what he was doing. So, well, hey, thanks for all you've done for our city. Yep. Thanks for being on the show today. Great Wonderful show. Guest. I appreciate it. Hey, yeah, man, you do a great job. appreciate it. Thanks again. Um, and guys, if you like what you're hearing, five-star review our podcast. Please share it. Please leave us some reviews at YouTube. Subscribe to our channel at What's Your One More with Number One. And check us out on our socials at What's Your One More with Number One. Lenny, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. All right. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it One more chance, I'm gonna take it I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put my all into it, yeah